Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and once again, Lord, we stand before you as unable and incapable of bringing worship and glory that is due your name. We ask that you would accept our singing this morning, and that each one of us would remember our songs are to be sung unto you. Lord, I pray that during the preaching I'd be able to bring forth the message that you would have brought forth. And Lord, during the invitation, that not one of us would withhold from you what is your due. Lord, we ask that you would give us grace to be your servants in these last days. That we may bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. tell you... Singing a song like that changes the atmosphere even in church. Amen. And uh, we do serve a great Savior. We serve the only Savior. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. And uh, we're just going to look at a story this morning. Uh, if you like titles to messages. Uh, I'm going to title this one, On the Word of a Little Girl. On the Word of a Little Girl, Great Things Happen. And really, when you stop and look at this story, it doesn't make a lot of sense, at least according to our understanding of things. Yet, we can see God's hand moving through this. And When we finish this story, what I want us to do is we'll go to the New Testament and we're going to find a passage there that I hope and pray will help explain uh, not only why this story is here, but why that passage is there and make some application to our lives. And so we're just going to start reading here in chapter 5 of the book of 2 Kings in verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the little maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiments. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. 
And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. We'll stop reading right there and get into the rest of the story. But I want to challenge you today. How hard was that passage we just read to understand? I mean, that's pretty, excuse me, pretty straightforward, is it not? Uh, The reason why I just want to call attention to that is we have many people who criticize our old English Bible and say it's hard to understand and and very difficult and all of these things. But I want you to, to realize that the Bible is not a complicated book if you'll just read what it says, amen? And we're introduced to a man named Naaman. Now, it's incredibly unusual that Naaman is listed here in the Bible because he was a great man. It says he was honorable with his master. Who was his master? The king of Syria. Uh, Did the Syrians like the Jews? Uh, Do the Syrians like the Jews today? Uh, Same people... (laughs) Same animosity, same hatred goes between the two of them. He was an honorable man with his master who was the king of Syria, which meant his name was held in great abomination in the land of Israel. It says that God had wrought deliverance, not of Israel, but of Syria through Naaman's proudness and greatness as a military leader. Now, why had he given deliverance to Syria? Because of the sin and the wickedness of Israel. But Naaman had a problem. He was a leper. Leprosy was an incurable disease in those days. You died. But... If all you did was die, leprosy would not have been near as horrible as it is. It was a long, lingering death of years upon years. And sometimes the leprosy would go into a remissive state and stay that way and then come back with its full fury. And I mean, there is... Uh, there's a lot of connections between leprosy and what we deal with in uh, many different types of cancer in our own day and time. But leprosy was always fatal. No one ever recovered. The best you could hope for was in the book of Leviticus, it was described as a leprosy running through your entire body and you would become white and scaly from the head of your toe to the the head of top of your head to the tip of your toes you'd be covered with white scaly skin but it would be whole it wouldn't be open sores and and the moving of the disease but you would be marked for life everybody would know that you had leprosy i mean you couldn't go anywhere and so naaman here is a leper Now, one of the first things that get affected in a leper 
is your hands. It'd be hard to wield a sword if you didn't have fingers. That's where Naaman was headed. It was a horrible disease. And one of these uh, little guerrilla bands, they divided the Syrian army up into little groups and they would just go marauding through uh, the land of Israel, pillaging and murdering and taking captive who they would. And they brought back a little girl. We don't know how old she was. But if she was put in a place of service, she would have had to have been 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that. And she was made a slave of Naaman's wife. Now, we hear that word slavery today. And we think of very negative things, and you should. But let me tell you, in Naaman's day, and the plight of this little girl here was far worse than anything in America, anything in our history. Most slaves were exercised to death at a very young age, or worse. She had nothing to look forward to in life except sorrow, misery, and death. And she was serving in the house of the man who was humanly responsible, possibly even for the death of her own parents, at least for her capture and imprisonment. And she had really no hope of escape or being let back into the land of Israel, no future. What we would think of growing up and being married and having a nice life, that was not in her plans at all. And here she is in a place of service. And as she sees her mistress's husband with leprosy and apparently she understands enough about it to know what it was and all of the provisions that were in the law considering it. She says to her mistress, oh, if Naaman were only in the land of Israel, we got a prophet there that could heal him. Where in the world did she learn that? Let me tell you something. It's important that these little children come to our through the Bible time in the morning. It's important to read the Bible at home to your children. Things go into their lives that you just don't know about. Every once in a while, one of our kids will come up with something and they'll make a statement or, that was just like this story in the Bible or something. And I said, wait a minute. That, they weren't even talking the last time we went through that story. Ah, but they were listening. They were listening, amen. You, this little girl apparently had enough scripture in her to understand enough knowledge of what was going on around her to know that there was a man named Elijah and his servant named Elisha that were servants of the Most High God and that they had connections with God 
and that God's power was not limited by all of these things that we understand. I'd say that's a pretty bright little girl, wouldn't you? And she makes the the comment here to her mistress, the wife of Naaman. Now look at verse 4. This, I don't know how many times I've told and preached and went through this story and I, this phrase just jumped off the page. It says, And one went in and told his Lord, saying, It wasn't Naaman's wife. It was one of the other servants heard this little girl talking to Naaman's wife. You see, Naaman's wife was like most of us. Oh, that's a ridiculous fairy tale. I mean, how many of you would believe a little girl that could tell you that your husband's dying of a terminal disease that no one has ever cured? that he could be made whole if he could go to the land of his enemy and to the prophet of the God that Syria despises. Does that make a bit of sense to anybody here today? And yet I want you to think about this thought upon the word of a little girl. What's the next verse? And the king of Syria... Now, I want you to stop and get this jump here. We have a servant going to Naaman and says, this little girl that you brought out of the land of Israel says there's a prophet in the land of Israel that is capable of recovering you from leprosy. And the next verse is, and the king of Syria. I mean, stop and think about this. What would be your chances of getting the ear of Obama, our president? About a gazillion to one. Now, there's a lot more Americans than there were Syrians in this day, but here we have the hearsay of a little girl being reported to Naaman. I want to tell you the first thing I want us to get a hold of this morning. There's something about this little girl. Could we agree with that? You see, she had every right to be bitter and hateful and despise Naaman. Did she not? You know, how many lives are ruined because of bitterness? What expectation did she have? None. Except pain and suffering and death. And yet she refused. Bitterness, hate, vengeance. I don't know about you, but I think I'd have probably been praying that the leprosy get Mr. Naaman because he'd done all those mean things to to our people. Now don't look at me like you would never think that way because you would. That's human nature. 
She had enough of a relationship with God that she could trust God more than she could what was going on around her. Let me tell you, that's, that's a special person. That's a person of the, that is evidencing the work of the Holy Spirit of God in her heart. But she believed in the miraculous power of God to heal Naaman, though she refused to claim that same miraculous power of God to deliver her from the slavery which she was captured in. Do you get that? Here she is, a slave with no hope of any future, nothing to look forward to, and yet she still believes that God has enough power to heal Laman of his leprosy in spite of all of the things that her life is holding right now. Does that sound just a little bit like unselfishness maybe? I mean, it sounds a whole lot more like love, doesn't it? You see, she was not suffering from some psychological malady that made her love her captors. She was different because she had a relationship with God. And she was willing to trust God with her enslavement and yet believed God's power was capable of healing her master from, from leprosy. Let me tell you, there's a lot of us adults that have never grown up that much. As an amazing little girl. Amen. But the next point I want us to turn to is who in the world would listen to the words of a little slave girl? Why? Well, because the situation was exceeding desperate. Amen? Naaman was going to die. You do not just replace the chiefs of staff, the head of your army. There aren't that many men qualified. And Naaman was exceptionally qualified because... He had already been out there on the battlefield and had won many victories. I'll tell you what, leadership is an incredible thing on the battlefield. I wish we had time this morning, but if you ever have an opportunity to read, if you like to read history, I would recommend the book 1776 by McCullough. In that book, his thesis and his premise is that victory in the American Revolution rested in the life, character, physical endurance, and exceptional leadership of one man named George Washington. And he proves his thesis exceptionally well. If we had not had General Washington, we would not have won the revolution. It's just that simple. History bears that out. 
It was an exceptional leader. Guess what? Naaman was one of those guys. Even though he was fighting for the enemy of Israel, he was an exceptional leader. He was a man of great ability. And the king understood that. And the king did not want to lose that man. And so when he heard the story of this little girl, that there was a man in Israel that could recover him of his leprosy, he said, let's go. Now, he made a couple of very grave mistakes. Look what he did. Number one, he said, go to, in verse 5, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. His first mistake was believing and understanding that the king of Israel would have to know who this guy was and what his capabilities were. Now, why would the king of Israel not believe in Elisha the prophet? Well, you know, there was bad blood in the family there. Uh, Grandpa, I mean, I think his father was Ahab or grandfather at this time. Ahab was a real nice guy, wasn't he? I mean, there's a history of evil in the land of Israel. Uh, Elisha's master was Elijah. Elijah had some really nice things to say about the house of Ahab and his mother Jezebel and a few other things like that. And all of those things came into being and came to pass. They were all dead, died horrible deaths. And the king had no concern and no understanding of who Elijah was and what he could do. The next mistake that he made was he took with him ten talents of silver. Now, if we understand a talent, that's 75 pounds. 750 pounds of silver. Uh, Wouldn't you like to have that on the market today? I mean, that's a lot of money. 6,000 pieces of gold. Now, we don't know if they were all Krugerrands. Of course they weren't. But uh, that's a one-ounce coin. Uh, but there, there was a lot of gold there. And ten changes of raiment. Uh, I, I wish we could really understand how this was, but nobody, with possibly the exception of the king, had ten different outfits in their closet in this day and time. Now, that is just so foreign to us. I'll bet if we had time to take the poll today, I'll bet we could come up just in this auditorium with over a thousand pair of shoes. Don't you think so? I think that'd probably be pretty easy. You say that. Pastor, you're exaggerating. No, no, I was watching. I saw some faces and I, yeah, I think we could do that. Listen. This was 
to this was enough money. We call it the king's ransom. I mean, this this would have been that. This would have been as much money as any of the reigning sovereigns in the entire area would have had access to at any one time. This was a, a lot of wealth. And he goes into the land of his enemy to the king that he has def- personally responsible for defeating in battle with a letter from the king that sent him there saying, please help recover my servant from leprosy. Now, does that make sense to anybody? But you see, we have the word of a little girl on it. Could you imagine somebody showing up and saying, we have a a little orphan girl that we took captive in battle and she says that you have a cure for this disease in your hospital and we're sending over uh, our chief of staff uh, of the enemy to come and be healed in your hospital. I mean, what do you think the response would be? Well, the king rends his clothes and screams and said, they're trying to start another war. They're going to beat us again. I don't know what to do. I love Elisha. What in the world are you doing being so stupid as to rend your clothes? Send him over here. He's going to know that there's a prophet in Israel. God's got a message for Naaman. Uh, Let me tell you something. God's got a message for anyone who's willing to seek him. And Naaman came in and went to Elijah. Now we're going to pick up our reading here. Verse 9, so Naaman came with chariots, I mean came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan River seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Now don't you like this? I mean, I love the way God does things. Here comes Naaman. 750 pounds of silver in the wagon. Uh, You don't do that in a Volkswagen, my friend. He had to have a train behind him. The gold, the changes of raiment, all of these things were an open display. And here comes the chariot of the chief of the army, of the general of the army of the Syrians. He didn't go anywhere alone. He had people with him. His entourage was there and they pull up. If they had stretch hummers, he would have had one, right? And park in the front of the house of Elijah and the dust settles And one of Elisha's servants walks out. Are you Elisha the prophet? No, 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 I'm just a servant. Well, can I see Elisha? No, he's not coming out. He has a message for you, Naaman. Go take a bath seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be clean. And the servant turns around, walks away and shuts the door. So we have an amazing little girl a desperate situation. And now we have 
resistance to simplicity. Do we not? I mean, how simple would it be? The Jordan River wasn't that far. He would have to go over and walk down into the water and uh, contrary to most uh, juveniles' belief, you have to get wet to take a bath. Amen? I mean, you got to get in the water. He was to dip himself seven times all the way under. He gets angry. Look what he says. But Naaman was wroth. That meant he was furious. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Pharpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And I imagine Naaman knew how to do that, don't you? He was angry at his only hope. I mean, that even makes less sense than listening to the word of a little girl, doesn't it? You see how ridiculous human beings are? He takes this entire entourage, 750 pounds of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and travels right into the center to the man that hates him the most in the whole world and says, recover me of my leprosy. And he says, go to Elisha's house. He's the guy you got to see. And he goes over there. And now he's angry and upset because his pride has been insulted. He's going to die, my friends. Do you think that if taking a bath could have solved the problem? I mean, here he is, the general of the army. Do you think he never took a bath? I mean, if washing in water could get the job done, wouldn't he already be healed? We read the rest of the passage, his servants come up. And his servants came near, verse 13, and spake unto him, saying, My father, now could you imagine calling a general of an army responsible for the slaughter of thousands of people? My father, my, my dearest friend, I mean, I mean, look at how they are groveling in the ground. If the prophet had told thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? If he'd have told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Yes, I can do great things. I have done great things. But not to make you angry, Mr. Naaman, but if you don't do something quick, you're not going to be able to hold a sword because you're not going to have a hand. That's what leprosy does. He said, you've done great things. Why, why can't you do simple things? Now, I love the next picture. Here he comes. Great big entourage, carriages, horses, his own chariot that he uses in the battle. 
Could you imagine what the people of Israel thought was going on as this all pulls up to the Jordan River? And here gets Naaman out of the water, I mean out of the chariot, and walks down to the water. I don't know about you, but I wonder if he stuck his toe in first. Just, oh, that's cold. Who knows? But he goes down into the water and he washes himself seven times, just like the prophet said. See, our last point this morning is with obedience is blessing, is it not? Well, our next to last point. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Verse 15. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company and came and stood before him and and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Now, did Naaman have the wherewithal to bless Elisha? Uh, 750 pounds silver, that'd be a pretty good start, wouldn't it? Uh, That'd be a pretty good end. I mean, that would be more money than a man could spend in his entire lifetime. And yet, what does Elisha say? Now, I want you to get this. This is really important. But he said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, verse 16, I will receive none. And he urged him. Naaman stand there saying, please, let me give you something. Just one talent. Just, just one change of raiment. Just, let me give you something. But he refused. Now look at Naaman's response in verse 17. This is the key to the whole story. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offerings nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. You see, Naaman came from a religion like many people come from. You can get anything at all accomplished if you have enough money to pay for it. Isn't that the way most religions work? I know I've told the story before, but once in a class in college, a student brought in a plenary indulgence signed by the Pope himself in 1920-something. His grandfather had given... Uh, a several hundred thousand dollar gift to the church and the Pope himself took time to sign a plenary indulgence that this man and all of his descendants after him in perpetuity as long as there's life on the earth shall be forgiven for all of their sins, mortal and venial, no matter what they do, they all get to go to heaven because of this gift. How many of you knew such things existed? I mean, there it was. You can buy anything in most religions. And by the way, Naaman had enough money to buy it. If it was for sale, he had the wherewithal to get it. 
But Elisha was trying to teach him something about God. The God of Israel, the God of heaven, is not impressed with your capital gains. You cannot purchase his love or his forgiveness. You cannot purchase his healing. It costs too much. But he will give it freely if you will receive it. How did Naaman receive it? By dipping himself seven times. Let's get ahead. How do you receive Jesus as your Savior? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's that simple. But we got one more little bit to this story. Gehazi messes it up, doesn't he? He runs after Naaman. And he says, there's, there's a couple sons of the prophets that have come. Now, anybody that had any sense at all could have read through this so easily. Elisha refused anything. But I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Let's get to that two mules burdens of earth. He said, since you will not take payment, he said, I want you to give me as much dirt as two mules can carry. Now, doesn't that sound ridiculous? How many people know why he wanted dirt? If you know, if you think you know, raise your hand. Okay, we got one hand. Is that it? Two? Three? Okay, four. There we go. few people. How did you build an altar to God? You either took unworked stones, no tool upon them, or you made a mound of earth. You see, Naaman said, because I can't pay you for your services, I guess I'll have to pay God in my regular sacrifices and offerings that I would make to my gods. I refuse to give them to anybody but the Lord. And so, Elisha, you're going to have to give me enough earth to make an altar so that I can take the land of Israel back to the land of Syria and offer to God upon the earth of Israel what is rightfully His, which is my offerings and my worship. Say, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? That was the, that's the understanding of that passage. That's why he wanted the dirt. And of course, that was freely given. And then Gehazi runs after him, tells a lie, and gets two talents of silver and two changes of raiment. And he comes back. And let's just read the rest of this so we can get through on time this morning. Verse 26, Gehazi answers, and he said unto him, uh, this is... Uh, uh, verse 25, I'm sorry. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. I didn't go nowhere. Verse 26, And Elisha, and he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? 
Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Remember, leprosy sometimes will run through a person and they'll be covered with white skin. That's where Naaman was. He could still live in society and do things, but everyone would see that he was marked by his avarice, his greed, his desire for things. You see, God's trying to do something. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is one of the things that we talk about often here. The Bible is its own commentary. I want to try to tie this up here in the next few minutes. Verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him, think that, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, we've told the story. The Bible says that these stories are written and recorded for our admonition. So this morning, in these last few minutes, I want to ask you a question. Where are you in the story? You're somewhere in the story. Are you the little servant girl that has lost everything and all your hope is gone? And you have no future and you have every right to be bitter and resentful and angry at people in life? You need to realize that the only thing that will buy you is more pain and suffering. That God is greater than any circumstance you find yourself in and it's time to surrender to Him and the duty that He has before you. What would have happened to Naaman if this little girl had not had enough of a relationship with God to sustain her through what she had to endure? And there's no understanding that she was ever set free or sent back to Israel. I mean, we could write our own ending according to our own likes if we want to, but that Bible doesn't do it. It doesn't say another word about her. Chances are she continued in the position she was for as long as she lived. Somebody says, that's not fair. Uh... If I have to trust the end of the story, I'll let God take care of it instead of trying to worry about it on my own. Amen? Uh, maybe we have a Naaman here today. You know, Naaman was an incredible man. 
He was accomplishing a lot. He was doing the best that he knew how to do and even better than most. But he was lost. He had an incurable disease called leprosy. Leprosy is a type of sin in the Bible. It's a disease that every person in this auditorium is affected with. And there's only one cure. The blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't receive it, you will spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. There are no other options in the scripture. Again, if you want to write your own, be my guest. But if you will believe what the Bible says, you're in desperate trouble. My hope and prayer is that there'd be no Gehazis lying around who even though they were faithful in their service for God was tempted by the things of this world and turned aside from serving God and helping Mr. Naaman understand you can't buy God, you must serve him with your life. Every one of us are somewhere. I would like you to take the next moment and ask yourself, where am I? Am I like Naaman? I need to surrender my life to the simple things and just be born again the Bible way. Maybe I'm saved, maybe you're saved and you've not surrendered to the Lord in other simple things like baptism and church membership. Today's as good a day as any to get that taken care of. It's surrender to the Lord. That's all Naaman had to do. Obey the words of the man of God. You know, if you're just struggling with life, you're saved and you're serving God, but you just think, wow, This is just a miserable lot of circumstances I've been dealt. Does God care about me? He cared about Noah and the ark. They were waiting. Amen. He was still in charge. He hadn't forgotten. He just wasn't ready to move yet. You got to wait on the Lord. The Bible talks about that. But maybe you're here today and you're struggling because your eyes are being turned toward other things. The Bible is just too simple. You know, it wouldn't hurt to just get a few of those little riches of the world. It's not going to hurt Naaman to lose a little bit of that silver, a little bit of those, a few changes of raiment. You know what Gehazi was saying? Hey, Naaman, your life was really pretty cheap. We'll do the uh, uh, Kmart blue light special on healing today. Just two talents, not, not ten. You know, there's, there's a lot of apparent shortcuts in life. Gehazi was trying to take one. And we could spend the whole morning on this, could we not? But I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would fill in the blanks. 
Where are you in your service to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that during this time of invitation, you would have freedom to work. That we would have the ability to be honest with who and what we are and where we are, what we're doing with the life that you have given us. And Lord, if there's a change that needs to happen, that today would be the day we would surrender to you on the word of a little girl. The entire course of nations was changed. Lord, we'll look forward to seeing Mr. Naaman in heaven someday because of your goodness and your grace. Lord, we ask that that same goodness and grace would work here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation, 296, just as I am.